0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the With a Terrible Fate podcast. I'm Dan. I'm Aaron. And we're back. We're back again. Uh, internationally this time we're back.
1: The gang is back. Tell a friend. All over the That's world. Right. <laughs> I made that joke uh, and then immediately felt old about it when I was going back to the Tales of Praxis stream. Because thankfully uh, the, the people who are following were also, I guess, are old, as old or cultured or both <laughs> enough, yeah, yeah, to get it. But I uh I found myself aging myself with not just Eminem but vintage Eminem at this point. But at least M will always be older than we are. So there's that
0: Yes. That is that's like a uh, uh in uh Batman v Superman when uh Bruce Wayne is like I'm older than my father ever was. We won't have that with M. <laughs> Luckily right. he'll outlive Thank all of us. It. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> Yeah. He'll, uh, he'll oh. be there rapping to the cockroaches at the end of the world.
0: Although speaking of, uh, not to start us out on a bummer, but I, I was, uh, I was going to ask you this off air, but did you see about Carl Weathers?
1: Oh, I did see that. Yeah. What I a bummer. You. 76 Ugh, yeah. man. It's too, been soon. A, too soon. It's been a rough yep. year
0: for like people that we like who are really younger than you'd hope going man, I feel bad for Mark Hamill Wenders. more
1: than us because I feel like he has zero degrees of separation from all of them because I, I follow him yeah. on Instagram and like every few weeks he's posting something about yeah it's sad that all my friends just keep passing away so oh I uh, I feel yeah, for him I, hope I agree Mark Hamill yeah that's, that's very right.
0: sad <laughs> Mark oh, Hamill man. we don't well, want
1: your friends to go either no
0: rest in peace carl weathers very funny mm. in uh i mean awesome in every movie he was in but i i think both of us our touch point for him is uh, as himself in arrested development talking about how he never spent per diem and made soup <laughs> out of carrots
1: <laughs> throw a throw a bone <laughs> and a couple of veggies in there baby you got baby? a stew going <laughs> <laughs> i think i want my money back <laughs> It is Mr. funny. I, I, uh, <laughs> I'd love to give you my last eleven hundred dollars, but
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to hope there's a whole generation of comedy fans like us, and it's not just the two of us boneheads who like know many famous actors just from like meta comedic bits that they do about themselves yeah. on shows like AD, oh, rather I'm, than their I'm actual sure. oeuvre.
0: I think between between Arrested Development and like BoJack, just like having. Sure having uh, literal like one line jokes sometimes. I think that's a good window into figuring out people's, uh, all the way back to United fairly odd
1: parents. TV's Adam West. TV's it's Adam West. For yep. a long time. Right. Norm, <laughs> Norm, the genie. Yep. Yes. Piece, all the of them. Yep. Oh my goodness. Oh man.
0: Well, we, uh, from the, Sublime to the ridiculous, I suppose. We, we I think the to ridiculous about... to
1: the more ridiculous in this yeah, instance. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we, uh, so we took a little bit of a break because we were, um, first of all, we were in Japan for a good amount of time. And then we had a bit of a break post Japan trip, but we wanted to catch everybody up on our travails and our, our really awesome experience over there. Cause it was it was pretty amazing. So we, I had
1: this thought because you kind of, you ran over this in the time that we uh, have been back from Japan. But I think for both of us, a big part of it has simply been recalibrating our systems from the jet lag of being 14 hours into the yeah. future. It took me, <laughs>
0: I genuinely was shocked at how long it took me because I don't think, I don't know if I had ever had it before because the last time I would have had it would have Mm. been like 10 years ago when I, when I had come back from Japan the last time. And I don't know if it was because I was just younger or I just wasn't susceptible to it, but man, like uh, for like a week and a half afterwards, I was so messed up. It was
1: awful. This is one of those situations where I love Japan. I'm excited to get into our visit there, but I kind of will not forgive JRPGs for giving me a stilted understanding of this because they're always traveling the world, these heroes. And yet I have never seen a mechanic in a JRPG where they have to deal with jet lag or recalibrating themselves when they jet set or fast travel from one country to another on the other side of the world
0: fast travel i think it negates any effect of of jet lag apparently either that or there's no international <laughs> dateline in like the tales <laughs> series i don't know but oh yeah my God. It, it uh it was rough but um <laughs> not to mention our and we don't have to linger on this because we would both linger on it forever but our insane um return trip like we had oh, amazing uh Truly impeccable luck for like 20 days when we were in Japan. Mm -hmm. Amazing, uh, food, amazing travel. Like we were lucky all over the place. We saw things that were really cool. We stumbled into really cool things. Like we just had like, speaking of JRPGs, we had like really good RNG. (laughs) And then at the end of the trip, it was like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the, the seven luck gods of Japan, they all left and they're like, Hey, you're leaving Japan. We can't help you outside of it. And uh, there was a
1: karmic checkpoint, right? We had to rebalance our scales before we got back to the states.
0: I haven't been that angry in I think a decade, honestly. Like I I was, I was... afraid
1: that you were going to hurt me if I said the wrong thing at the end of that travel day.
0: <laughs> I, was, I was so I was so angry at just like every every step of the way the customer service failed us like in different points. Yeah. Like egregiously to the point where it was like days after when we finally got our luggage but yeah it was it was just a it was a it was a cluster coming back but that's to say nothing of the rest of the trip which was amazing
1: so so let's dwell on that what were some of the highlights for you what are things that you're still thinking about a couple weeks out oh man
0: well we got we got to go to a bunch of different places which was awesome so we spent a good amount of time in Tokyo of course which was really cool um because I lived there so it was cool to see places that I had been and like how things had changed Um, but I loved, obviously we went to Nagano and we saw the monkeys in the hot springs and we actually got to Mm. take a a hot bath with them, which was really fun. Um, I think the more I dwell on it, the more I'm just so jazzed that we like, I I mentioned stumbling into things. So I, I had planned to go to Enoshima, um, this beautiful Island off the coast of Kamakura, Um, I had planned to do that, but what I had not realized was that it was the site of the, basically the, the myth of the Triforce or the dragon balls. Um, Mm. so this, I've talked about it on other shows, but this, uh, myth of the Hojo clan meeting a dragon and getting granted a wish from its scales. And it was so cool because like in real time, as we were walking through it, I'm like, oh, this is that place. Because I just didn't, I didn't put two and two together. So it yeah. was, that, that I think is probably my favorite, like happenstance memory. Um, mm. That was, that was awesome.
1: It was another very cool kind of JRPGism because I remember that. Like you know, not only were you discovering that this was the place where it had happened. But then as we were continuing to hike through the Island across all its little different micro ecosystems, we realized, Oh, there's this whole system of caves where you can actually go to the place where the myth supposedly happened and see the original shrine that was erected there hundreds and hundreds of years ago, which was wild. Yeah. Yeah. And the,
0: and they have a, like a dragon statue in there that, um, when, when you clap. So it's tradition at Japanese shrines to clap, to wake up the deities. So expecting people to clap, um, they put in like a clapper effect where <laughs> when people would clap, like lightning and thunder would play and yep. like this big war, it was awesome. It was, it was genuinely kind of scary. Like the, I'll say that, um, there was that moment. And then there was of course, like, so I got to set the stage for this because this is one of my favorite things. I think that's ever happened in my life, but we were, <laughs> Uh, so I had planned a day in Tokyo to go to like spooky places, right? So we went to, um, a bunch of like areas that had had yokai myths attached to them and like, and ghost sightings and, and demons and things like that. And we ended the trip by going to, um, this area that had a shrine across from a temple. And the special part of this area is that, um, it's, a, a place where King Enma, the kind of Lord of the dead, the ruler of hell in Japanese Buddhist myth. Right. It's also, um, Yama in China. Um, and he's known in dragon ball Z for having a really nice desk and a lovely suit. <laughs> so, um, so we went and it was really, it was interesting like layout cause it was, it looked like a parking lot basically. <laughs> like mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. went, we went into this place and it was just, didn't look like other shrines or temples it was very vacant and there was a temple if you're if you're looking at it there's a temple on the left hand side a buddhist temple and then there was a shrine on the right hand side with a statue of jizo bosatsu like right in front of it so it was this kind of eclectic mix of things and so we went up to the shrine and it was a pretty sizable shrine and it was king enma's shrine and there was a sign on it that said this is where king enma is and so we were looking at it and it's it was pitch black like you couldn't see inside of it and so then we walked over to the Buddhist temple and we looked in there for a bit. That was really lovely. And then we walked back and I was like, I really want to see King Enma. And I noticed that there was like a, like a doorbell switch, um, on the front of the temple. So, yeah.
1: Suspicious nondescript button. Yeah. By
0: the just this, king of hell. <laughs> this little button. And so I hit it and there is a sound that I thought only existed in movies, which is like ka chunk of like of floodlights coming on. And we're then face to face with like a 15 foot statue of King Enma looking terrifying. And it was genuinely like the realization that, Oh man, we had been like peering in trying to see what was going on. And he was just staring at us the whole time in this frozen, you know, visage of, of judgment.
1: It was pretty incredible. Something (laughs) out of silent Hill. Just, I was not, I was not ready for that. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool.
0: (laughs) So a couple of spooky moments. Those were, those were fun, but yeah, what was uh I know you you had a wonderful food trip, but I don't know if food oh my is God, number one. On still your... <laughs> trying to
1: run off all the calories. Yeah, it was very funny because. You, of course, were saying, oh, you know, we're going to do all this walking and I'm going to be continuing my uh, diet to look swell. swell- wow. Svelte, excuse me, for my wedding and everything like that. Uh, and meanwhile, I was like, yeah, that's great, man. I'm going to eat your share of the calories because I don't know <laughs> when I'm coming back here. If I see something, I'm eating it. Uh, so and I have no regrets because it was all delicious. Um, and It's funny because like, uh, as you know, cooking is such a big part of JRPGs. Uh, and I'm continuing to work through the tail series. And now like every time I see the party cook or eat something like Unagi don, I'm like, Oh yeah. man, take me back. When am I going to have good eel again? Stuff like that. Um, I loved it all. It's so hard to even pick favorites. I think going back to what you were saying about the monkeys one of the things that perhaps was the most simplest but also really fun for me not having done a big travel trip like that for a while was you know as you game you get accustomed to going on all of these big journeys through worlds and seeing these incredible things and getting ensconced in the cultures and telling these stories um and i think it had been long enough since i'd done any real world travel that i'd forgotten that deeply parallels real life where i just had this vivid kind of fantasy-esque feeling in some of these places like taking the hot bath with the snow monkeys and going to Nara uh, and seeing all of the deers walking around who are just Mm -hmm. so docile and friendly and bowing at you and then being ornery and demanding food from you but just there were like so many unbelievable sights and moments where I felt I really wouldn't believe this was something that existed here with us in the world if I weren't here experiencing it for myself So it really was kind of like as an adult getting back in touch with this kind of childlike wonderment that I think I used to only experience in JRPGs and other video games of just really broadening your world by going out and experiencing things that you couldn't imagine your way into from the armchair. You know, there were a lot of moments like that for me.
0: I mean, I think there was a, there were a couple of things that you know, so having lived there, like there were a lot of things that I had experienced, but then there were some things that were totally new. Like when we went to Kamakura and we were able to go inside the, the big Buddha statue, yeah, that was pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I didn't know you could do. So like that, that kind of stuff, I think the kind of surprise of, Oh, you know, you, you can do this while we're here. Well, we have to do that. You know, that I think was, there, Cause there was like big tentpole things that I wanted to do. Like, Oh, I, I definitely want to go and see the monkeys in Nagano. Mm. But then there was like some question beforehand, like, Oh, are we, are we going to be able to go into a hot spring there? Cause it seems like it's maybe only for people who have a hotel room. Yeah. But then we, when we went there and we went to the park, there was a beautiful uh, Japanese inn right across from it that had like day rates where you could just go and sit in the hot yeah. spring. So I think like, taking advantage of things like that were I think probably a lot of the highlights for me. Um, like at the end of the trip, Eagle eyed Aaron spotted that, um, the square Enix cafe, which we had been to the first time mm-hmm. when we went to Tokyo, uh, the first kind of leg of the trip, they had done a dragon war or a, dra- a dragon quest, um, kind of setup up. Yeah. For dragon quest monsters that had come out. I think like that week, Um, and so we went in there and that was a lot of fun, but then when we were back and it was like the last couple of nights that we were in Tokyo, um, they changed it over to Octopath Traveler and I love those games so much. And it was just so cool to like, we just waited in line and were able to get in and like on the second night that it was open, something like Mm -hmm. that, it was, it was really cool.
1: Yeah. They asked if we had a reservation and we didn't. And then that entailed us waiting in line for all of maybe 15 minutes, in that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: yeah. Like we went to, I think we, we went somewhere. They basically said like, come back at this time. And we did, and we were, we were good to go. So yeah, it was, uh, it was very, a very special trip and an awesome bachelor trip. That's for sure. Cause we got a lot of, uh, good hanging in there.
1: Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah. I think, um, it was nice too, as you say, getting a lot of good hanging in to be there for the amount of time that we were, because I think there's just a different pace you can have when you're able to. Settle in a place that you're visiting for at least a couple of weeks, and I think that that's a big part of what for me made possible that balance between, like you say, doing those tentpole things and just having a lot of found experiences as well, and things that yeah. were surprising that we didn't expect. Like here's one that I hadn't thought about since we saw it, but just wandering down the street in Kyoto and seeing a geisha just oh like yeah totally by happenstance walking across the street. Yeah, it was it was great too because. I was like, well,
0: let's, let's walk, let's walk this part of Gion, the Gion district, and maybe we'll get lucky and we'll see one. And then we, we walked kind of up the street and we didn't, but it was really cool to see the street. Cause it's, it, it mm-hmm. looks like it did, you know, a long time ago. And then as we were walking back, we saw one just come out of a door and like go to an appointment. So that was pretty cool. <laughs>
1: that was awesome. Yep. Oh man, that was great. I loved it too, just because, um, well i know you had been there for a long time i feel like the the last time i was there just because it was a quick trip to visit you and uh you know climb fuji and almost die on fuji and those other <laughs> things that we did the first time um i don't remember getting that much of kind of the the benefit of your deep background in east asian and religious studies whereas mm-hmm. this time i felt like you know, I was almost taking a mini course in all of that stuff mm. with all of the shrines and temples that you took us to. Well, but really, I mean, because um, I, I think as much as any of the cultural sites that we saw, one thing that was perhaps the most useful and rewarding to me was just being able to go around the country and get a better sense of their relationship with things like the religious and their cultural history and the mystical, just by like going around these sites that were important to them and learning from you a lot of the background context. Cause I, uh, I know that I didn't really have an understanding, especially just of, um, like how enmeshed they take kind of the natural and constructed worlds to be as well as the religious worlds and the socio-political worlds uh, in terms of the various like political factions and factors that contributed to the development of different religious infrastructure there so just i i kept remarking and we kept talking like throughout the journey on how different it felt in terms of just its cultural attitude towards the religious than walking around and seeing churches in the western world or something like that and that was really fascinating
0: it's cool too. Cause, uh, I didn't plan it like this, but like we, we went to, uh, not in any particular order, but we went to like four major seats of government, (laughs) like in the past. (laughs) So obviously Tokyo, like the Edo period, that's where everything happened then. But then we went to Kamakura, which was this, you know, huge, uh, I mean, it was, every place has a period named after it, right? We went to Kamakura we went to Nara to see the the big Buddha statue and the deer um, and then Kyoto, of course. And so there were all of these like, all right, for a couple hundred years, at least, like this place was the place in Japan. Mm. And so we got to see, you know, how it was um, affected by time, how it may have been affected by the war and how things were kind of destroyed or built back up or not as the case is with Kyoto. But um, yeah, it was a it was a cool trip. And I, I didn't. Th- I didn't think about that aspect of how quick a turnaround it was when you came to visit me 10 years ago, but yeah, it was going uh, to go to these places. And for me, it was, it was really special to see how little some things changed and how little mm. some places changed in, you know, 10 years. Like, you know, if we, If we, like, if we didn't go back to New Hampshire for 10 years and then we went back, like, we would be shocked (laughs) at, like, what's different, right? And when I was walking around Kyoto with you, I was like, oh, no, this is all, everything where I left it. The only difference being
1: that people weren't smoking anymore. (laughs) I was going to say, you noted that quite a bit as a pretty huge difference post-pandemic. Well,
0: and you found out from our our (laughs) drunken friend on the train that... um, that the reason is because it was just inconvenient <laughs> with yeah, masks. That's
1: right, right. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Cause so, to smoke, people had to take off their masks and which is, you know, they didn't uh, want people taking off their masks according so to this funny person. To me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I just love, cause I was thinking like, Oh, that's such a huge change. Cause for those of you who don't know, smoking was huge in Japan when I was living there, like all through, you know, really from, I don't know, the thirties onward, pro- well, probably earlier than that. Um, you know, just like cigarettes everywhere, people smoking in restaurants, like, um, you know, very different from America, at least. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sure in Europe too. But um, when we were there, I was really surprised at how much it had changed because it basically felt like America, really, mm-hmm. um, in terms of smoking. And my idea was, okay, well, Japan's got a huge aging population. Maybe it was like, let's all rally together and not cause secondhand smoke problems during COVID. Um And I was on the right track, but it just came down to (laughs) inconvenience and not wanting to take your mask off to puff on a cigarette. So people gave up smoking instead of (laughs)
1: doing that. It's funny. Like, you were too aspirational in what you were thinking was the cause for that. I think in the same way I was too aspirational in thinking about, like, the – metaphysical uh impacts of the religion that was happening in japan because i kept asking like all right what's what's like the symbolism of this and you're like it's just something they do man it's part of the culture yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. turns out spoiler alert the same thing was true for smoking right <laughs> yeah yeah which is so funny to me but i think that was
0: that was another fun thing because i i have a deep affinity for japan obviously but um i think a lot of people who study it or go there you know they have this kind of like uh, misapprehension of it being like a place that's not real, you know? Um, Mm. and I think like the, the really cool thing about Japan is that it is beautiful. It is fantastic. It is amazing. And it's also very real. (laughs) It's also a very real place with very real problems. And one of my favorite moments of that was like when we were at Edo castle, the ruins of Edo castle, and you had read like a world heritage site thing that said, Oh, you know, they, wow, they didn't, um, it was like the, the Tokugawa shogunate chose not to rebuild <laughs> a defensive, uh, tower when it had, uh, been destroyed by an earthquake. And you would come up to me and you're like, that's really interesting. And I'm like, eh, <laughs> and, and, and we were talking about how, like, all right, it wasn't like a, a peace thing. Like this was a time in history when everybody was paranoid out of their gourds. And the only reason they didn't rebuild it after it was destroyed is because they had no money. <laughs> and like to me that strengthens the the idea of like japanese history being fascinating because it's so pragmatic and realistic and Mm. you get this like this uh aspect of the um uh, kind of like two-faced and duplicitous nature that government has anywhere (laughs) it's not you know japan's not safe from that like far from it back in history definitely
1: well and I think the thing that I loved in that vein about our trip and why it was cool just to travel with you and soak up your perspective was I think we had a lot of experiences that made it possible to appreciate both sides of the country and its history and heritage in the sense that I think there are aspects of it uh and its religions and its history that you might think of as magical or inspirational or larger than the physical world in some sense. But then also there's all the political pragmatism, uh, and cultural realities that motivate and perpetuate things. Right. Like I think of, um, the amazing afternoon we had at that temple in Kyoto that's at, on the back of the 10 yen coin. What's the name of that? Byodo-in temple. Yeah.
0: That's right. Um, the, the, um, the imperial kind of the, the realization of the pure land of Buddhism. Yep.
1: Well, yeah, exactly what I was going to say, right? Like, obviously, one of the most important seats of political power and influence at the time, uh, and incredibly important for, you know, enforcing all of the, um, you know, political and cultural power in the country and everything like that, but also, like, how interesting, and I remember us talking about this, the significance of a temple that was designed to literally represent this metaphysical concept of the pure land, this you know nirvana or heaven concept in the Buddhist tradition, right? So that as you walk those grounds, and I, I felt like you can really feel it even nowadays, walking the grounds and seeing like the actual temple and then representations and models of the temple as it would have looked hundreds of years ago and stuff yep. like that. Like you feel a sense of kind of a transcendental journey that you're going on simply by being there, which is despite all of those metaphysics still embedded in the culture and the history of the country and all of the reasons for which it was architected. So it was really cool to be able to kind of have both sides of that coin, I guess, pun yeah. intended, Puntenian uh, coin. without, yeah, without doing away <laughs> of of one in favor of the other or something like that.
0: Well, that's, and that's really actually to, to bring it back to JRPGs, right? That's why that line from remake, sticks with me so much. The idea that like, it's, you know, both sides of the coin are still the coin, right? This idea that like, you can't, I I feel like in this, this may be an inherently American problem because our country is so young relative to the world. Right. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, there's not a lot of historical perspective that we're able to place on a timeline that's very long. You know, yeah. like I think the, the furthest we can go, I mean, I suppose you could go back to like Mesoamerican history and things like that, but, you know, European influence on America, the, the colonies and, you know, what we know it as today is relatively a very short amount of history. Yeah. And, you know, you go to a place like Japan and I'm sure people in Europe feel this way, right? Um, but you go to a place like Japan and you see that they've had enough time to naturally synthesize um, this idea of artifice and truth where mm. there's this thing that this temple. So using Bjoruin as an example, you know, you, you go back in the history and they teach you this when you go there, they kind of, they're very quick about it, but they, they say like, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was like a villa that this, um, um, like Lord gave his son yeah. cause he just had it, you know? And right. it's like, well, that's pretty mundane. But then <laughs> the, the son decided to make it, this beautiful place and have it be a representation of the pure land and Buddhism. And over time, you know, over hundreds of years, because they have that time, it goes through these stages of, okay, it's a true representation of that. It's a museum. It's an, it's a, another true representation. There's people here with ideas. And eventually over time, it just becomes like a distinction without a difference where the sacrality you feel of that place comes from that history and the import and Mm. the import that's given to it, you know? And I think my favorite part of that trip was, um, I had seen it before, but I, so I, a a lot of times in Japan with Aaron, I would go ahead of him because I wanted to see his reaction to something. (laughs) And so when we were in the museum at Byodoin, where they keep all of the, um, Bosatsu statues, the statues of the Bodhisattva on clouds, um, that lined the, the temple sanctum, um, there's this beautiful, um, exhibit with them laid out really breathtakingly. And I remember like very deliberately, like I'm going to go in there cause I want to see like Aaron's reaction to coming into this room and seeing like, <laughs> wow, like the, you know, things, this beautiful mix of, um, just age and beauty of these incredibly immaculate, intricate statues. On top of the thought that was put into displaying them and keeping them, and giving them this sacred context of importance, it's really something very cool that Japan. Maybe
1: does. that's part of what was so magical about those exhibits too. Because I, I, I kind of feel bad for you, Dan, but I'm glad that you are saying you appreciated it and we're seeking it out <laughs> because I feel like half the time when we were walking around, I would take a couple steps and then I'd just stop and be like, wow, in exactly <laughs> that audible way, because yeah. I was just so struck by whatever it was that we were seeing. But especially when we were at those sorts of cultural heritage landmarks, I was really moved. And I don't think we talked about this at the time by the museums because as we're talking about it now, I don't think it was just the quality of the curation, which was exceptional uh, in exhibits like the Bodhisattvas on the clouds that you're talking about. But I think also, like you're saying, because the feeling and phenomenology of the sacred in those broader cultural sites uh, over time has become so inseparable from its history and the way in which the political forces that be have defined and redefined it to the point that it all becomes two sides of the same coin and you're just looking at the coin. Um, I feel like being in that context, then when you go to a museum that's further providing cultural commentary on the sacred and these artifacts, it's very easy for the experience of that kind of curated exhibit to similarly exude this feeling of the sacred where you don't just feel like you're in this academic museum phase, uh, space. It feels, you know, more, uh, more religious itself than that.
0: I think that's, I mean, I, I, I know that's deliberate too on their part, because it's important that, um, those museums are on the temple grounds, you know, um, these places aren't, they aren't separated. Um, there's obviously there's another building, but it's not like you have to go to a different part of town to see the, the museum where all of these things are held, which I feel like is something that we get sometimes. And I don't know if it's just because of, Mm. um, I don't know if it's just because of like, uh, practicality or something, but you know, like you'll, you'll go to, I'm thinking of that beautiful exhibit at Harvard that you showed me when you were doing that, um, that summer kind of showing, you know, uh, this beautiful, really amazing. Oh, it was, it was this amazing curation of it. And you know, it feels kind it feels separate because it it has to, right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's maybe, maybe you get away from that at places like the MoMA, you know, where it's like, this is meant to exhibit art in this context, but yeah, there's something very important about this museum is not separated from the temple. It's part of it. And this is a different kind of sacred area where we're going to go. And you know, when you go into those museums, it's very quiet. It's very contemplative. Um, there's like little Japanese ladies sitting in chairs, ready to scold teenagers. You know, it's <laughs> it's very it's very deliberate.
1: Yeah. Well, I uh, and I think there is something to that difference between the Western and Eastern approach to museums. That kind of cascades out to some of the other stuff we were talking about. Because mm. I I would love to study more about curation than I got from my, my one summer working in it. Um, but there is, there's a whole like philosophy to the space of museums as something that creates this, you know, separate experience and almost like, a vacuum that is sealed off from the outside world in order to be able to experience art in this kind of sanitized way. And of course, a lot of people have views in terms of whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that whole experience of walking into, like you say, this partition space of a museum with the white walls and these yeah. frames that present artworks in their own singular context, um, it does create like this distinction uh, from the rest of your experience of everyday life, whereas you go to Japan and the thing that I was struck by over and over again that we talked about as early as when we were wandering around shrine and temple seeing in Tokyo the first time is the the different spaces just bleed together. Like you can see their philosophy of humanity being one aspect of the natural world in stuff like the architecture and the city planning. I remember we talked when we went to... Um, oh, that that big park with the temples and shrines in Tokyo the first time we were there. Ueno, that's right. So we went to Ueno um, and I couldn't help but compare and distinguish it from when I lived in New York in Manhattan because, you know, Manhattan, it has Central Park. You can walk out of the city and into the park. But in that same way we're talking about, you feel the distinction between those spaces where now you're leaving, yeah, you're leaving the constructed social world and you're entering into this kind of, artificially designated space for nature to exist whereas in Tokyo it just it all bleeds together like you said sometimes you don't even know if you're walking into a parking lot or a 100-year-old shrine right um it made me feel much more harmonized with with the world that I was exploring and inhabiting
0: it's it's really a lot of the fun is that you know you go to a place i remember so when i when i first went to japan i went to nagoya i was there for a long time and i was on this uh I kind of like was doing the reverse, uh, trail of a tour that these old folks were doing. And so we kind of, they said, why don't you just come with us and we'll, we'll, you know, let you be on the tour. So (laughs) I went and, uh, we went to a, um, it was a place that had been turned into a monument because it was part of a temple that had been destroyed by a firebomb during the war. (laughs) Hmm. And, uh, this old lady was telling me, she's like, oh yeah, this is from, you know, 1300 years ago and she said do you have anything like that in america and i went no (laughs) (laughs) the land maybe (laughs) yeah yeah like 1300 years i just and i love the she was sincere she wasn't like being sarcastic you know she was just like you know what what is it like in america i was like the oldest thing like i don't know the the liberty bell like what do you want you
1: know (laughs) i remember we were talking even when we went to that amazing tea house and restaurant in uji the home of like all matcha in the world and the restaurant itself was over a hundred years old and we we had yeah. to sit and think like, have we ever been to a restaurant that's anywhere near that right. old in America?
0: And we, we were <laughs> I don't thinking think about, so. I think, I think even like beyond, have we been to one? We were just thinking, is there one, one we exist? can think of? Yeah. 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 And I think we were talking about like, Oh, there's like a steakhouse in New York. Maybe that's like hundred years right. old. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I think that it's, um, I mean, it was a really special trip and it was important for me too, because it was, uh, obviously a trip with my best bud, but, it was also kind of a return to this place that i was mm. you know i hadn't been to in a long time and um, it was very affirming in that sense to go back and enjoy it just as much and in different ways and it was a really special trip so i appreciate it so between you going with your me, life
1: like, as a as a gamer and thinker and just someone who as you said has so much affinity for every aspect of japanese culture do you feel mm. like any particular parts of the trip Obviously, you say some things about the trip surprised you, but uh, as you get some distance from it now, do you find parts of the trip uh, leading you to reconsider uh, or consider new aspects of your gaming life or different mm. ways in which you relate to the culture, things like that beyond the trip itself?
0: I think, um, well, there's a couple of things. So I'll put a pin in uh, in this because I want to talk about my experience so far with uh, Like a Dragon and Inf- but it's really cool for me to be playing that right now because it also feels like a return to Japan but it's after the pandemic so there's enough time between this and like a dragon you know yakuza 7 basically um I'll get more into that but it's it's it feels mm. very reminiscent of our trip in a lot of interesting ways mm. um that I don't think I would have felt had we not gone right and yeah. I think that, so that I'll put that in a little box, but I think that one of the things that I really loved, and it was really the, the 11th hour. Um, it was the last nice thing that happened before our trip. (laughs) Um, we were pulled over by Asahi TV to be interviewed, um, Mm. as like foreigners who bought things in Japan. Like, what did you buy in Japan? And I think they were expecting, I don't know, clothes or uh, who knows, like tchotchkes, you know, definitely
1: but not what we had, but it is a good question <laughs> what they were yeah. expecting. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, cause they said like, Oh, did you buy things from shrines and stuff? Which we did, but they, yeah. they were not so interested in that when we showed them what no. we had, cause we had <laughs> both of us being us had these gigantic um, pieces of luggage filled with classic video games and video game paraphernalia. And it was so cool to be interviewed because um, the host was our age and when he was looking at our stuff he was like oh this is so nostalgic you know and yeah. he was like pulling out pokemon and at one point you showed them this awesome majora's mask copy that you got and they said something that's really stuck with me that i don't think you and i have talked about in much detail but one of them was just like oh that's really hard isn't it yeah and um <laughs> and we were like oh we've beaten it like a million times and they're like really you know like right. so that that was interesting and that kind of gives you a window into like that game was really hard for that guy as a kid, you know? Um, and I think what I loved about that in particular was how much history we do share with them in terms of nostalgia, Mm. because I think prior to that experience and prior to us kind of living in Akihabara for a little while, um, (laughs) I felt like in so many other ways, I was an outsider in terms of my interests in what japanese culture has compared to a japanese person right mm. but i think um you know pulling out an inbox copy of pokemon gold and seeing this guy's face light up like he just opened it on christmas was it, it just really affected me in a way that nothing had the last time i was there because
1: i felt like mm. i was like a weirdo ot- yeah like you have a common ground with him a common language yep. Yeah.
0: yeah I, I think especially with the big things like Pokemon and um, Final Fantasy, you know, like these, these things that were early crossovers into the West, into being popular. Um, you know, it was, I feel like when I, okay, I had a similar experience to what I imagine that guy had. And it was when, when we stayed in Kamakura, we stayed at this beautiful hotel with, the greatest concierge I think either of us has ever (laughs) had the pleasure of knowing far and away this this guy's English was phenomenal. And I asked him, you know, how did, you know, have you, did you live in America? Did you live in England? And he said, no, I just, I love American movies and and music. And Mm. I just thought like, Oh, so you're me on the other side, you know, (laughs) because I love, I got into Japanese because I love video games and anime and stuff. Right. Yeah. So, I felt like that coupled with the reaction that that TV crew had seeing our video games was really special.
1: It was cool to see too, because I I hadn't thought about this, but the various aspects of Western culture and especially Western gaming culture that had made their way over there. Like Mm. I wasn't expecting nearly as much fallout and we saw that virtually everywhere. I remember how cool it was to see. Well, yeah, but also like undertale, like that was really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Fox. Yeah, it's nice to see that it went both ways. It really is, yeah, in an amazing way. I think, um, yeah, a couple of things that stayed on my mind, because I I want you to be able to take the pin out of the Yakuza stuff. Yeah, Um, yeah. Speaking of great places that we stayed that had great continuity with gaming, uh, we haven't talked about the amazing ryokan that we stayed at on mount takao one of yeah. the big um i think sacred mountains um mm-hmm. by kyoto. kyoto yep yep um which was uh, a great place with another great set of hosts uh, and also right underneath this basically mountaintop um temple And so we got this great advice from our host saying, you know, since you're staying here, this is a really popular temple, people go all over it during the day, but they don't get going until late. So you should wake up in the morning and go there and there won't be anyone else around. And so we did exactly that. And talk about a mystical experience not least of which because i remember looking at you and saying you know i feel like this could be the exact model for one of the temples that Miyazaki used in sekiro yeah. and it really felt like walking around that exact kind of space where i was expecting like to turn a corner and see a monk come around and then maybe attack me maybe not you know depending on sekiro or the ro- yeah you know <laughs> yeah. It's, depending on the day depending on his mood how corrupted yeah. he is all those good things well um, cuz we were we were laughing cuz we
0: <laughs> um yeah cuz it was really it was it was a beautiful place and we were yeah. so lucky to be there on her recommendation and yeah I remember we were joking like as we looked over the mountain vista like Robert <laughs> falling off
1: the bridge <laughs> yeah. that exact level that's what I was yeah. thinking of yeah <laughs> but yeah I uh, it's it sounds like such a silly and obvious thing to say out loud but you know all of the Art and cultural artifacts that you love, even and especially in pop culture, they come from places and they come from people, a certain history, right? So especially for someone like me, who, in my academic and analytical work, oftentimes focuses on just the reading of the object as such in a death of the author kind of context, being able to kind of uh, reacquaint myself with the author and to kind of read those source stories from the world that inspired all of the fiction and literature that I love so much. That was really cool. I know um, we'll have to keep talking and thinking about this because like even thinking about the relationship between the political history and the religious history of the country, one thing that's really been on my mind since then is I have always with JRPGs, especially, had the hardest time navigating the difference between their kind of religious and deific themes and their political plots. Um, like, especially in something like a Final Fantasy or a Tales game or whatever, because there's yeah. virtually always like some pretty um, center stage political complexities that's underpinning a lot of the you know more typical you might think JRPG stuff of killing a God or, you know, figuring out the nature of the world, stuff like that. Um, And I've always in my mind kind of had them partitioned into separate buckets. And because the religious and metaphysical is more interesting to me, I've gravitated towards that part. Um, But going through that trip and especially those different, conversational and physical journeys with you through the shrines and learning about the history. I really want to try to revisit a lot of those themes with different eyes and see if I can see them in a more intertwined way, because I feel like especially coming out of this culture, they just, they have to be two sides of the same coin in the way that you're talking about with the country itself.
0: One of my favorite examples, you mentioned Final Fantasy. Um, Final Fantasy X is the example of this, right? And one of my favorite like moments in that game is, um, something that's so inherently Japanese to me which is um, you get to a place called the calm lands do you remember this part so sure. the calm lands are this place where um, it's this wide open field and the the history is that long ago one of the summoners the you know magical kind of leaders of this world they uh, destroyed sin on this place and because of that like there's this huge open field where this battle took place and it's like a tourist trap like there's all kinds of like (laughs) games and stuff that happened there and i just love that like that to me is so is so japan where it's like all right this is a incredibly sacred place it's deeply important it has incredible political import and also you can race chocobos here
1: (laughs) it's catches balls yeah Yeah. yeah
0: so that's, we'll have to talk a... about
1: that with Tales too. I uh, mm. I've been loath to tell you this because I know that you've had a lot going on in your life, and I don't want to distract you with something that you know I know you will love. But um, another thing that started on that trip on the plane out was I've been playing Tales of Hearts on the Vita. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, you know, this wonderful Western localization of a Tales game that we only got. Uh, in a sub format on the Vita. But since we were going on a long plane ride to Japan, I figured what a great context to get into that. And what I didn't tell you is that after getting about 10 hours into the story and focusing on a lot of those metaphysical and spiritual things about the nature of the self and the different emotions that govern who a person is in a very Nino Kuni kind of way, as I did mention to you, you yeah. find out that you're wandering around a world that you didn't realize because you are from like an outskirts town, but for the last 10 years has been governed by this single empire set up in the center of the world that has uh, basically brought the world under its dominion from this war of unification that happened 10 years ago and no one ever talks about at this point and the history is already getting lost. So like, I, I swear to God, you find out about this and then you go to a town for the next step on your journey and at first glance, it looks like this almost like beautiful venetian town on a lake where there are these little islands and you have to take boats to get in between them and you find this old man who's like the only one who knows the history and he's like yeah you know this place looks like this because there used to be this big flourishing town where the lake is and then during the war 10 years ago the army flooded it to (laughs) kill everyone uh, and win a battle right cool oh yeah cool man (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, I don't know Dan I'm not the Japan scholar but maybe some interesting parallels between so, that yeah. and uh, and some other things maybe
0: <laughs> that's really that's really interesting I love uh yeah the idea that hey isn't it great that we uh, we managed to come out the other side and no one's bummed out like no oh, no one's bummed out because they're not there anymore <laughs> that's right
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone's happy we're great we yep. uh, we have a church and a state so we control the religion and the politic. Uh, we're good we figured it out that's right there's no war because we killed everyone who would oppose us yeah that's the meaning of peace (laughs) (laughs) my utopia Uh,
0: well i've been uh yeah i've been i've been playing uh the new yakuza game infinite wealth which
1: have you um, been infinitely playing it because i know you've been champing at the bit for that since it was announced or at least showcased at pax west last year
0: It's one of those things that I, I, uh, you know, I don't really like have, um, I have hype for games, but I don't have like anticipatory hype. Like my, my life happens and then the game is out and I get really excited when it's out. Mm. Um, the only game that I have like hype for right now is rebirth. I was going like to say really, that
1: seems like the uh, exception uh, that proves the rule. I'm counting
0: the only the only time I'm counting the days. Like there's a few exceptions, right? Like the next time a Kingdom Hearts game is now when Kingdom Hearts Four sure. finally gets any news. But um, 2055, maybe. Buckle up. Fine, as long as I'm alive. Um, the, <laughs> the but I, yeah, I was really excited because I love the character of kasuka ichiban the main character, and that was introduced in Like a Dragon, which is the name that we got. Yep. Y- Yuga gotoku seven like yakuza seven there's all kinds of naming conventions for it but he's just like my favorite kind of character the kind of lunkhead with a heart of gold um, who puts kindness above everything and i fell in love with him as a character in the last game um and his worldview and kind of how he approaches things and so this game is really special because we're still following him and it's about four years hence from the last game and like COVID happened in this world, but then also very particularly in the first game he was in the big Yakuza clans were dissolved in an act called the great disillusion. And so it's this kind of dual meaning of, you know, the way of the past is gone both for the Yakuza and for the characters in this game, Mm. because we're passing the torch. There's literally a chapter called passing the torch to each one. And, um, It takes a lot of the tropes of the Yakuza games, which I love, which I would call like really healthy masculinity. I would say it's probably the best depiction of like masculinity from a very canted angle that I think exists, especially coming Mm. out of Japan. And um, this game is just, it's, it's a continuation and this is an interesting comparison, but it reminds me a lot of Kingdom Hearts 2 in the theming that it's doing. In Mm. that Kingdom Hearts 1 kind of sets up the big themes, and then Kingdom Hearts 2 is all about like love connections because every Mm. world is based around partners coming together. And so Infinite Wealth has this kind of umbrella story about Ichiban finding his mom because he's been set out to go to Hawaii to kind of find his mom for reasons as yet unknown. And when he's there, he runs into Kiryu, the old... Protagonist um, who has been living low because he excised himself from the underworld. So he's he's there also looking for Ichiban's mother for reasons that are not so clear. So hmm. every yakuza game is this great like mystery that unfolds, and I think that the strength of it is in its characters. And uh, I've just been losing myself in like the mini games and the the side quests and just really enjoying this world that is. It has so much cynicism in it, and yet the main character, Ichiban, is so determined to just not have that be the way things are that he Mm. very actively opposes it. And um, what I love about it compared to other Japanese Mm. games, specifically role-playing games, is that unlike a fantasy world where there's like different rules and different setups and, and hierarchies and things like that. This is just the world and it's crazy cause it's the Yakuza world, but it's like, <laughs> it takes place in Hawaii, you know? So it's just like, mm. it's just real things come up like homelessness and, um, uh, like racism and cultural divides and these things that I think are addressed allegorically in JRPGs, which I love, but to see them addressed from a JRPG lens, in the real world is really special.
1: Do you and I think that's part of what people mean when mm-hmm. they talk about the Yakuza series as being a distinctly adult video game in the sense that it wrestles with these themes in a way that's easier to just map to the real world. Whereas that's, that requires an extra inferential or interpretive step in the traditional JRPG.
0: I think what's so special about the Yakuza series as a whole is that it basically is and not just with these new games that are really set up like turn-based RPGs, like the Ichiban games are there. He sees himself as a dragon quest hero. So he's, right. you know, the the game, the fighting is turn-based. It's not the brawls that Kiryu did in, in the older Yakuza games. But even in those, I think the, the thing that makes it adult, not in like a sexual way, but in a theming, a thematic way is that they're games that are so preoccupied with tropes that we don't think exist archetypes that we don't think exist in reality, um, insisting upon themselves. So Mm. like Kiryu is an amazing character because he is a man's man, but he's also emotionally intelligent. He's, um, empathetic. He believes in people. And it's like this, uh, I remember, um, Hirohiko Araki said, like, Jotaro is like Clint Eastwood and Josuke is like your friend. Mm. And that, to me, reminds me of Kiryu, where it's like this beautiful mix of both, where it's like, I believe this person exists. And beyond that, I'm so invested in Kiryu and how he operates that I believe people like him are real. And Mm. I think that's the beauty of Ichiban, too, where they take it... So if if, um, Kiryu is like... a a samurai or like a Western cowboy, like lone hero, right. Who's, um, the protagonist of these heroic stories. Ichiban is a JRPG character, but he's real. Like he, he, you Mm -hmm. believe that he exists even in these crazy situations that Yakuza puts him in to the point where when he reacts to something, you really feel it more deeply than I think I would if he existed in the world of final fantasy where mm. I think that like, um, like I, I, I won't give names, but there's a huge moment that I just got to, it's very early. It's in the third chapter of, of infinite wealth, but a major character is revealed to have cancer and like that in a game that is about being a hero is mm-hmm. so it's such a gut punch to the point where I said out loud, Oh no. Like I I was really Mm. hurt when I heard it Yeah. because I've been with this character for so long. And it's one of those things where you, you think like, man, I I truly feel like I just heard someone I know has cancer and he has six months to live. Mm. And I think that that superimposed with, um, you'll love this. There's a character named Yamai who is voiced by our main man, Dio. And <laughs> he's like, he's in Hawaii and he's, he's amazing. He's such a cool character. He's like always bundled up. And his thing is, he's like, I'm so cold. like sure. he's And so it's just, I just imagined. So like in a world where that character is there and he's like, so over the top. And then you get hit with this revelation that a character that you've known, has cancer it's just like mm. this really weird tonal shift that works in a way that i think only would in in Yakuza.
1: it sounds almost a little magic realist like against the backdrop of these banal very human concerns and representations of the world to then have these characters who have personalities that are larger than life it kind of it inspires you to give credence to the possibility of that in the real world and trying yeah. to, you know, use those fantasies to wrestle with and and make a different kind of meaning out of the more banal evils and things that we have to suffer and deal with day to day in our actual lives. I think
0: that's the, the real heart of the Yakuza series is that it does in spite of all of its, um, over the top situations and, you know, uh, scenarios and plot lines that kind of get out there, it does make you believe that those people exist because Mm. I think it's, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Byodoin, right? Where it's like, well, these archetypes come from somewhere, right? Like we didn't make them up out of whole cloth. Like there must've been people who seem this way, right? Or at least at their best moments were like Kiryu or Ichiban. Mm. And so the idea that, you know, well, why not? Why, why wouldn't a person like, why wouldn't a real version of this archetype exist? Right. Mm. And I think that that's such a, a special thing to explore that, um, throughout it's like, I think 25 year history at this point is, uh, so consistent and so beautiful every time to the point where, you know, like if you, if you're having a hard time in your life, especially if you're a man, um, play a Yakuza game, you'll, you'll, you'll get a lot of hope from it.
1: It's a nice way to describe the other coin, the other side of the cynicism coin. Just the question of why not? You know, why why couldn't yeah. this exist? Why not be this kind of person? Yeah.
0: Why not? Yeah, it, there's, yeah. I, I'll the last thing I'll say is that, um, you know, Ichiban just in the first game where he's in it, he just decides. Um, well, I've got no prospects. I've got no like he had just been in prison for eighteen years for a crime he didn't mm. commit, and he comes out and he says, well. I've got no money, I've got no family, I've got no prospects. I'm gonna be a hero. And people around hmm. him are like, what does that mean? He's like, I'm gonna be a hero. <laughs> that's his answer, you know? Yeah. So it's what it's what he believes it to mean. And it, you know, I, I think um to go back to tales, like that's why I resonated with Sorry so much from um Zisteria, because he just like commits to this idea of what he's going to do and who he's going to be, and creates this kind of legend uh, out of his own morality and ideals. And I think that characters like that speak to me very, very loudly.
1: And you were saying, you feel like this is a, a story in a game that you're reading differently by virtue of having just been in Japan. you see different uh, elements in it?
0: Yeah, I think more so like definitely the Japanese aspect of it, but I think also, you know, kind of, interrogating um, ideas that you had after a big experience and seeing mm. how they play out in, because you know, the game starts with uh, he's the hero of Yokohama. Like everybody knows who he is, but then that goes away at a certain point because of certain mm. things. Right. And mm. um, I think a different man would have had that affect him, but he just, there's a really lovely thing where, he wakes up every day and he's just like, let's get shit done. And that's his, that's his <laughs> mantra every day is like, all right, let's, yeah. let's go to it. And I just think that like nothing stops him from feeling that way. He'll get pissed or he'll get dejected, but always he says like, well, it doesn't change what's happening and I got to go and do this. And I think that, um, to me kind of seeing Japan as a whole, like going back and like, okay, they dealt with COVID. The yen is worth like nothing right now as we've learned to our benefit (laughs) while we were there. Right, Um, Things are different. Things are changing. And, you know, I think you, as a person, you, you go into an experience like that thinking like, this is going to be totally different. And I think it's only as different as you are. And that's what Ichiban kind of reckoning with how his life has changed has made me feel like, all right, you're only, you're, you're the constant in your life. So if you, you know, adjust your worldview to keep yourself moving and keep yourself content, then that's what else, what else are we doing? You know? I love that. So really, really special and hilarious. That's the other great thing about it. Um, I think, uh, just so well written. I uh, it's it's to me they are games similar to like Yokotaro games where it's like man as a writer I really appreciate this <laughs> because it's just so snappy and fun and you yep. know all the characters are so clear and motivated and it's just a joy to watch because it is a lot of watching. It's a long cinematic game.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there is just a special kind of magic that I too have been appreciating more lately with Games like that, Yoko Taro's games are great for this. We've been thinking and talking a lot about this with Tales of Graces, which we're wrapping up Mm. in the Tales of Praxis stream, but games that um, create this robust um, perspective for thinking about their story uh, that integrate a number of different tones, right? Where Mm. there can be such pathos and tragedy, but also it's willing to laugh and it's willing to have these hilarious or absurd or in yoko taro's case simply weird moments and not yeah. weird or funny in a way that distracts from all of the somber and harrowing and serious stuff that's going on but rather just adds to the tapestry of what makes it feel like a human experience that you can actually take lessons from and apply to your own life it's i've uh, good writing as you say hard to yeah. negotiate that
0: well and it's in a way that like feels natural and consonant like i'm thinking of um you know you, you mentioned like things. Like I told you this story (laughs) when you were in Japan, but, uh, when I was living in Florida, I moved apartments in the same complex and I was moving from the first floor to the second floor. And when I was moving, I was in and out of that apartment. It was just me. I was in and out of the apartment kind of bringing things in. And I, on, on one trip, I saw a squirrel climb up onto the screened in (laughs) patio. And there was like a little ledge and I saw him just drop a pizza crust on the ledge. And I started cracking up because I was like, if I hadn't seen that, I would have been wondering my entire life how yep. that pizza crust got there. <laughs> and I feel like that kind of weirdness is something that like, you know, that that like the joy in that weirdness is something mm-hmm. that the games that we've been talking about personally and then on the show uh, have been like resonating with us where it's like man things are absurd and that's okay
1: (laughs) yeah the perspective of the enlightened monk who can just crack jokes at the world right
0: yeah like that's
1: hilarious anyway (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right then Yep. (laughs) back to drinking Uh, matcha and meditating on the sutras (laughs) that's right uh (laughs) two things can be true so that's my that
0: and then a a ton of pokemon i've been playing so um, i'm shocked (laughs) yeah i know And, and actually there's a so every Yakuza game has like a money making sub thing, and like in Yakuza Zero, it's real estate, and Seven, it's a, a business where you have like stockholder meetings and stuff like that. Um, in this, it's called. So there, it was in the first one in Yakuza Seven with Ichiban. There's a guy who is the Sujimon Sensei, and the Sujimon are the like weirdos that you fight in Yokohama, and so. Mm. Like The monsters, right? And it's treated yeah. like Pokemon, like go and fill out the Suji decks. And <laughs> so, in this one, the money making mini game is Sujimon fighting.
1: <laughs> That's so hilarious. I've been playing so Pokemon you can't get away from it no matter which way you turn. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. <that> exactly.
0: <laughs> and when I literally said out loud, um, as if you were in the room with me, Aaron, because when the game was explaining to me what it was, I was just like well, this is my life for the next week. <laughs> 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 Goodbye, real world. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but that's been my my gaming life. How about you? you? You've been playing something that I'd never even heard of, and I'm excited to hear you tell me about
1: it. It's one of those wonderful, smaller games that I got personally recommended to me by a couple different people without ever having heard of it beyond that, which is one of my favorite little niches of how I discover games outside of my typical series these days. Um, So it's a game called Inscription, which is a couple of years old at this point by a pretty well-known indie auteur, I guess, these days by the name of Daniel Mullins. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's one of those games that fits into this wonderful yet frustrating archetype that we've talked about uh and i've talked about on the tales of praxis stream uh with actually one of the followers who recommended it to me a guy by the handle pottery breaking um where the only way you can recommend the game is know someone's taste really well and say (laughs) i can't tell you a single thing about it you simply have to play it because it's that kind of game um i would say that about it too Uh, i think the best feather in its cap that I could give it is it's the first game in a while where, as I told you off mic before we started this, I stayed up literally until two in the morning last night to finish it. Uh, and actually maybe even a further feather in his cap. So I wrapped it up probably at one 15 in the morning. And then as the credits were rolling and after that, I spent probably 45 minutes just trolling its wiki to try to make sense <laughs> of all the different pieces and put it together. Yeah. So it's uh, that kind of game. Yeah. But very fun, very interesting. Um, quite different from the JRPGs that I've been playing. Um, I think the it truly is a kind of game that's hard to say anything about because you simply want people to experience it without spoiling it. And it's a short game, so I'll say that too. It probably took me only like 10 or 12 hours, so you should mm. play it so, simply so we can talk about it. Um, I think what I would say is... It, I would definitely put it in the category of something like Undertale in terms of like playing with the player's mind and subverting a lot of your expectations in a way that is very fun. And I think indie storytellers just have some of the best latitude to do by virtue of, you know, the kind of game uh, and artifact that they're putting together and the kind of creative team behind it. Um, oh, Devolver put it out also. Um, Devolver oh. And it's page. Yeah. Um, And it's a game where I was saying this on the stream, like one of the, not one of the first article that I published for Tales of Praxis was on the experience I had as a kid with Tales of Symphonia, where Mm. when you go into a game like Tales of Symphonia, where the world just progressively expands in each subsequent act as a kid, where you don't have a model in your head of what a JRPG is supposed to look like or how long it's going to take. There is something truly just like, existentially humbling to you where you're going through and you think you're trying to save the world. And suddenly the world is like five times as big as you thought. And there are 20 times as many considerations and peoples. Uh, so just the storytelling of inscription had a great way of recapturing that magic of making me feel small and humbled uh, at different junctures. So it was very fun. I got to check it out. I'm I'm really surprised.
0: I'm really surprised that I haven't heard about it since we just, I'm just thinking of packs and devolver being there all the time. Like I'm, I haven't I know. even seen the name of it.
1: I'm surprised too. It's not one that I've seen there though. So I don't, I, I don't know. I will say like, even <laughs> just from the way in which it's marketed, like if you look at it on the PS store, it's very much a game that is aware that the way it's marketed is, I can't tell you anything about it. You just have to play. Oh really? <laughs> after you, yeah. After you sit down and play, you'll immediately see what I mean. Um, but yeah, great, great, cool, and uh, and challenging character portraiture in the way that we were talking about, or the way that people laud again something like Undertale for. Um, but it's it's uh, it's something that I'm excited to talk with you about too, because without giving any spoilers, um, and I, I want to talk about this with some people who have played Inscription, but it was an interesting game for me because I almost found myself saying like. Have I been spending too much time with JRPGs that it colors my expectations of what every game is going to be like? Because it's very interesting. It's quite unusual. It's not a JRPG, um, which was interesting to me because there are a million little moments and flourishes and things that it does at various aspects of its gameplay and story that are such interesting set pieces to me and I'm going to be thinking about for a long time. But at the end of it, I definitely felt myself surprised by how um it it didn't have the same sense of conclusion in a way that a jrpg does uh and i don't think that's necessarily a knock against it but it's it's gotten me back to thinking about things like genre because you know i think we would both agree one of the magical things about a jrpg is it takes you on this hundred or 200 hour adventure, or whatever you go in a million different directions. And then if all goes well and it's well composed, like at the end, the conclusion has a magical way of wrapping all of that with a bow that makes everything greater than the sum of its parts and inscriptions conclusion almost felt like deflationary in a way, uh, hmm. where I felt like I was expecting that kind of climax wrapping everything together and I think at the end of the day, it almost intentionally denies you that. Um, so again, I don't, I don't know whether that's a knock against the game or not, but it uh, it made me aware of the kinds of games that I've been playing because I was like, I was getting all geared up and hyped for a very specific kind of ending, and for it to pull together like a few breadcrumbs that had been leaving along the way, and it. It does something that is not that, uh, <laughs> so it's it's got me kind of puzzling at what it wants me to make of the totality the uh, this on this next day as I'm trying to put all the pieces together. But it's worth well, playing, definitely i no about that.
0: I'm sold, I'm, I, especially since it's you said it's ten hours. <laughs>
1: It's so <laughs> short, which is another refreshing thing. I said this yeah. on the stream the other week, but I was like, I, I don't think people recognize in this day and age, especially for people like us who get used to playing so many long haul games, what a difference it can make to tell someone you have to play this. And by the way, it's like five to it's 10 short. hours. Yeah. Because right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. then I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not just going to put it on my list. I'm going to put it high yeah, up as a palate cleanser. Yeah. yeah in yeah, between exactly. my million different marathons that I'm running and getting ready for rebirth and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's short. You would probably breeze through it in a night because you'll reach a point where you get dialed in and just don't want to stop. Uh, it's also this doesn't give anything away, but it's it's basically a uh, a deck building game, and the deck building mechanic is actually quite fun. Uh, so oh, it'll cool. scratch that itch for you too. You know, okay, you get into collecting yeah. cards and working different strategies and figuring out how to break the mechanics. That's all a big part of it.
0: All right, yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head with it like a palate cleanser game of like, right? or even just like, you know, playing Yakuza. Like it's such a saga that, um, yeah, it'll be, I could just take a break and come back to it and be like, all right, it's like picking up a book, some JRPGs. So, There's something nice about
1: that too for this game because like as I said, regardless of where I come out on how I feel about its ending, I think there's a certain kind of game, (laughs) speaking of weird and shout out to Yoko Taro, like Nier doesn't (laughs) fit into this quality of weird, but it's a special quality of weird, I think, where a game is so outside genre convention and is just like almost trying to disorient you more than fit into a particular mold that you're comfortable with. So it's sort of more interested in like setting up expectations to just pull the rug out from under you that it kind of it becomes the perfect palate cleanser in terms of like forcing your brain out of genre expectations or whatever like paradigm you've gotten accustomed to sitting down and playing games within Mm. Uh, and it's it's just like almost like um i don't know a good analogy like going for a swim when you're used to doing a lot of runs or something right just like you work yeah, your body yeah. in a way that exactly it's so unaccustomed to yeah there's just like a full body Shot reset almost yep. yeah yeah exactly so it's nice for that
0: awesome well i'm i'm excited because I, I would love to do a a deck building thing because one of the things that i bought in japan was um <laughs> that uh Yu-Gi-Oh the Yu-Gi-Oh yes. decks yes um and i opened it up and like uh it was just I remember buying this set in English, but it was just like, oh man, anytime I open up a set like that, I'm like, oh, get me back into dueling.
1: <laughs> so I'm with you. I know it's when yeah. I wish we didn't live States apart because you're my, uh, my main dueling bro. Yeah. Oh, I know so it. So much love for Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh,
0: it was another great moment with the, uh, Asahi TV interviewer. I don't know if you remember this, but when he saw the box that I had, he just went, oh, yeah. doro,
1: like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I do remember that. Again, the universal language, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) we all know what that means. Well, I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna put inscription near the top of my list because I think right now, kind of like you're describing, all of my I mean, like Persona Three Reload came out yesterday, and I was just like, for the first time in a long time, I felt like, oh, I got a lot to do
1: (laughs) with games. It's so funny to me, Dan, because we have spoken more than once on air and in different formats on with the terrible fate about how different the experience of a story or a game is when it's something that is sprawled out over hundreds of hours versus something that is tight and more like a short story. So we like, we conceptually get that. And then we turn around <laughs> and we load our schedules with yeah. just hundred hour monstrosities in like thousand hour series. Right. So I think there, it, it it is already making me feel a kind of just ludic um, limberness in a way that I didn't realize I had kind of atrophied playing just solely JRPGs for probably two or three years now, which are great. Everyone who knows what I'm up to with the Tales series knows that I have nothing but love for them, but I think doing some lateral thinking and exercises only makes you the fresher and more attuned to what's going on in those series. Well, maybe,
0: maybe that, maybe that could be what we talk about next week because, um, other thing that came out i don't know if you saw this there's like a f- there's a free to play like silent hill game that just oh came out. no i didn't see that um i can't even remember what it's called i downloaded it <laughs> literally i downloaded it because i read somewhere that it reminded people of pt and i'm like well i have to get this before they <laughs> put it in a black hole of course um, but it's a short one and it's not i don't think it's a demo i think it's just like a short story and so mm. that's sitting on my hard drive and I thought maybe I would just do like in between Yakuza sessions and Pokemon sessions. Like, all right, let's see if we just knock out like this few hour game. So maybe that'd be fun to talk about, like palate cleansers <laughs> that we've engaged in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I uh, uh, was seeing if I could find it now. I don't think I took notes, but just as as a preview to that. I'll say we talked a little bit about it on the Tales of Praxis stream, and the other names that came up in this vein—these might be ones that you've played. They're ones that, again, have been on my list, but I didn't realize they were short and might scratch this itch for palate cleansers: Tunic and Outer Wilds.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Someone on the site tried to get us to play Outer Wilds when it came out. I think it was
1: maybe it was. Camus, probably, because Camus still uh wants oh, Camus, to right. wants yeah. to write about it eventually. Yeah, he's just yeah, he's he busy was, at the moment, but he's a super he, fan.
0: He was on board with that like way. Day early. one, yeah, yeah before yeah. anyone else knew about um, it. Yep. But yeah, I Tunic is Tunic is very cute. Um and uh did you ever you played did you play Stray? I can't remember.
1: I started it. Yeah, I still need to finish it, but There's I quite Stray, enjoyed that stray scratches that itch
0: One hundred i thought about that because as i was downloading the silent hill game it was like right next to it in the recommended oh, which is really funny fun. so <laughs> makes me wonder about this new silent hill yeah game interesting
1: yeah. cozy silent hill yeah right <laughs> but, pyramid head gives me the big hug the he's last little,
0: hug. He's, i'm just a little boy
1: with a scraped knee <laughs> <laughs> i'm just a little triangular I'm a boy. Little boy
0: i'm just a triangle oh. boy oh father pythagoras oh, no.
1: help me please
0: <laughs> My dad, <Pythagoras. laughs> uh, i love it well good i i've got my i've got my homework and uh i'm i'm making my way through pokemon games i haven't played which is a lot of fun um because the because scarlet and violet is over and there's a pokeball shaped hole in my heart so <laughs> um, but man that that wrapped up great too so that's another thing we'll have to catch up on but yeah i think uh lots of good stuff to play and lots of lots of
1: jrpgs coming out <laughs> in the next like month and a half um, oh my god take a deep breath and brace yourself yeah I'm, all i I'm can...
0: genuinely thinking I, i'm planning it already like i think i'm gonna just yakuza is gonna be it and then i'm not gonna do reload until after rebirth <laughs> because to try I to think like, that's
1: prudent for you
0: to try to squeeze that in i'll just be i won't enjoy it as much and i really want to because it's beautiful and i lucked out because i got the um the special edition with like the statue and everything so like i want to actually oh, that's awesome. enjoy it
1: yeah yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's prudent to uh to seek the better angels of your nature in the very small number of days between now and leap day <laughs> i know it's gonna come fast too but... don't remind me cool. oh my goodness yeah knowing me and my luck in the next week namco will surprise drop the next mothership title in the tale series which would be great and I'll, yeah i'll burst into fire yep there'll yep. be an erin shaped hole in the universe that would be really funny if they did that. Oh my just, god! Just just once,
0: yeah. Just no yeah. lead up to it at all. Yep. As a we've been working on this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, well, I think uh, nice to be back, and um, I think back on on schedule too, which is nice. Now that we're mm. back from Japan and our systems are recalibrated. That's so, right. I know you've uh, you've been back on stream, and you got a an article out, which I didn't I didn't realize until you released it.
1: I did yes the one that I was talking with you about and mauling mm. uh, in Japan and uh, I was telling the stream a little bit of the Japan trip worked its way in there probably in more interesting and subtle ways than this but uh, it actually touches on the very first hot spring scene in the Tales series uh, in a way oh. that was informed by our time in the in the public bath that we were talking about um, but yes I was actually I was smiling about it, so for those who don't know, um, it's it's an entry in the series I've been doing, studying uh, Namco's Tales series of JRPGs, and it goes back to the start of the series looking at Tales of Phantasia, which came out in 1995 and launched the series, which continues to this day, and studies this particular character who is increasingly becoming Very uh, an character. instance of, yeah, one of my favorite, and I think by definition, underappreciated character archetypes and storytelling where it's a character who in one sense or another is sidelined or even written out of his own story. And so that really grabbed my attention going back to the game this time. And I found myself asking, well, why is that? Like, This character seems like he has a very clear perspective on the world, he's working through his own things, but we really only get these small windows into it. And he's really even isolated from his own friends and the rest of the party. And in a JRPG, which is all about mutual support and community, that seems really weird what's going on there. And it kind of unpacked for me uh, a new and really rewarding way to not just make sense of that character in that game, but also to reinterpret and solve a lot of the longstanding problems I'd had with the other games in that little mini series of games, because Tales of Fantasia is linked up with Tales of Symphonia and Dawn of the New World, which came after that. They all happen in the same continuity. So yeah, it, it might be a fun one for you to read at some point because it doesn't well, dive too deep into the particulars without getting you lost. And it sheds a lot of light on Symphonia and Dawn of the New World, which I know you have a lot of attachment to now.
0: <laughs> well, I so this is the first time I'm telling you on stream, but in my uh, eBay craze of getting a bunch of Pokemon games. I also have um, the, oh my God, the the game that I was playing at your house. I have, I can see it in my head. Tales the, of Eternia. Yes. Yeah. So
1: the, the PlayStation. Ah, game. amazing. Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. Tales yes. of Destiny
0: 2, technically. <laughs> yeah. So I have
1: that. Of Tales of Destiny 2. Quote unquote. Okay. <laughs> so
0: I was like, I hope I bought the right one. So I've got that. I've got that on the way and I've been trying to find Fantasia because, um, one of the other purchases I made in Japan, which I, I recommend to you, Aaron, because I found like there's a, there's an English version of it. I've Um, been thinking about it. You should get it. It's amazing. And it's so easy to stream. Um, I have, I actually have both now. There's this thing called the, uh, retro freak. Um, and then the more accessible version to us is called the retron by hyperkin. Mm. Mm. Um, and they're amazing. They're like, they're emulation machines, but they actually play real cartridges. So it's, it's basically just like, if you don't want to spend a million dollars to get a, like a mega drive or something, yeah. you can get one of these for, you know, 150 bucks and play NES, SNES Famicom, like uh, region free. It's amazing. Um, that's awesome. And, uh, I, as soon as I got it and I like popped in my SNES games that I bought in Japan, I was like, Oh, I'd love to play. So that was, uh, that was on my mind too. So you should, it
1: holds up It holds up. Mm -hmm. I was talking about this last week, but I think it's one of those great cases of uh, what is now an old school game that has stood the the test of time in its original format. Like Mm -hmm. I think you would lose a lot of the essence of that story and what it's concerned with. If you remade it according to modern standards Um, and you learn so much about where the series has gone and where really video game storytelling has gone by going back to that route. No pun intended, since it also figures a giant tree surprise surprise uh, and seeing what it's concerned with. Well, I've
0: got my, my gaming homework cut out for me, but it all sounds fun. Start with inscription. It's it's a good palate cleanser. Yeah. I I would
1: recommend that to everyone. And if you're listening and you have played inscription, Tweet at me about it. Talk to me about it because I Let's need to unload it. my thoughts about it <laughs> with someone. <laughs> uh,
0: awesome. Well, I think uh, we'll we'll end it there for this week. Um, but thank you all, as always, for listening. And uh, like I said, we're going to be back on schedule here now that we're back in the states and not uh, asleep so
1: everything is (laughs) i'm looking forward to it it seems like we both have some good gaming to do in the next while so we'll need a uh, a a weekly time to process it as much as anything absolutely
0: all right well until then have a great week game well have a good time all the other sign-offs
1: always a pleasure cheers everybody